Welcome to 90 and a little extra. My name is Adeyemi Adesoya. Um, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for the feedback that we've gotten so far from the past episodes. Our last episode, we had traditional journalist Loftiwada, as we discussed, you know, North African football and what they've done to set themselves differently from the rest of Africa in making football a profitable venture and why they've continued to maintain success on and off the pitch. Today, we'll continue our series on uh, reviewing the LMC guidelines. Uh, to do that with me today, I'll be having, as usual, um, a sports lawyer, Tosi Akinemi Esquire. He's joined, I think, this is Tosi's third appearance on 90 and Little Extra. Tosi, you are welcome. Yes, good afternoon, everyone. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast once again. Thank you for having me, Mr. Okay, thank you. Tosi, you guys have um, something coming up very soon. Maybe you can just quickly talk about that uh, masterclass for sports law. Hello, Tosi, are you there? Yes, that's true. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Just quickly talk about the masterclass you guys have coming up. Okay, so um, our law firm, Sportlicitos, and a sports management company, that's Discovery Sports, um, are looking to impact knowledge on sports lawyers, athletes, sports administrators, students who probably may be interested in the practice of sports law and um, sports business. The program will be coming up on the 12th day of March 2020 at Lagos Court of Arbitration in Lagos. So we are going to talk about the procedure before uh, FIFA and the procedure before procedure of dispute resolution before the court of arbitration for sports as well. Sometimes people speak, ask me questions or saying, okay, how can one represent athletes or maybe clubs before such bodies? So this is a very fantastic opportunity to be able to learn. And we're also going to talk about other things such as intellectual property rights of athletes, you know, in sports and how such can be commercialized and maximized. So. If you are someone who is interested in sports law practice or sports business in one way or the other, I think it's a very great program for you to attend. Last March 12th. Yes, 2020. Will you guys by any chance be uh, doing a case study on a case on cases? Maybe like for instance, some CSS case. Are you going to have like uh, case studies where you'll be talking about particular cases that um, have been adjudicated on by FIFA or CAS? Yes, obviously, because it's going to be very practical. Okay. Okay, for cast, we are going to have a sports lawyer from South Africa. His oh, name fantastic. is fantastic. of Javelin uh, Sports Consulting. Okay. So, obviously, I know, yes, I know he's going to talk about cases you know, in explaining certain principles or how um, steps should be taken when resolving this with court of attrition for sports. I'm going to undo the one before FIFA and we have been preparing their cases which have been highlighted, what FIFA decided at some point. It's not going to be very theoretical. It's something that is going to be practical. Our cases have been handled by our law firm or those that have been handled by some other person. Um, that be guaranteed. Yes. Okay, that's fantastic. Uh, to get to the nitty-gritty okay. of what we discussed, uh, I want to try as much as possible to keep the podcast within a, maybe a one-hour time frame uh, so that we don't lose people's attention in them listening. So, um, in part two, we're going to be talking about um, aspects governing players, aspects governing match tickets and uh, stadium entry, aspects governing the assault, aspects governing bordering display powers, then arbitration and dispute resolution. So today we'll be starting with um, section B, subsection 9, and that has to do with players of MPFL teams or players playing um, in the MPFL, which is administered by the league management company. So I, I something caught my eye, and uh, it's a nine section B subsection nine point one four, and it's okay. the logo of the league shall appear on each sleeve of both home strip and alternative shirts. 
neither the home strip nor the waist strip shirt shall be of a color or design alike or similar to the outfits of match of shirts. So that's aside. 9.14 is my is my critical, critical focus point. And it worries me that this section of the LMC's uh, guidelines, you know, is not is flouted every week. And I wonder how a league body who wrote this in their guidelines is looking to market a league where the players and the clubs are not following a simple guideline where the logo of the league, the badge of the league should be on their jersey. Yes, that, that's true. Um, I think it's something which should be looked into because like you mentioned, these are some of the things which will help with the branding of, of the league. Because somebody who sees, for instance, in the Premier League, English Premier League, when you see a jersey, obviously you see the logo of the English Premier League. And that happens, that's also the case in respect of uh, the Spanish League and the Italian League and the rest of them. And I think it's, like you mentioned, something that the LMC should look into and enforce that such provisions are complied with. I was at the it, MFM Canopilas game on Sunday. And I saw it. I actually noticed it in the MFM AIMBA game. MFM's jersey okay. doesn't have the badge on it. I noticed that first. And I, what I did again was I went to look through different pictures, match day pictures yeah. of different teams. Yeah. And I saw that it was consistent that some of them didn't have the badge on it. And I think something, if we're serious about branding and packaging the league in the right direction, is something that they should look at. That's true. And if I may ask, you mentioned that it was that same thing on the jersey of one of the teams. So was yes, it also present MFM. on the jersey of the other team? That's yes, Cano as well. Canopilas, yes. Absent as well. Yeah. I, I think it's something that should be looked into. In fact, sometime last year, I saw a match. I can't remember the team now. Uh, that uh, the number that was, the numbers that were written on the jersey of the players were not properly done. I think they used the, uh, was it Kamaka or something? <laughs> or Maka? No, well, they've done Jeff. that before, but I, we have to give them credit. I think they've improved a little bit on that. Even though there are still mistakes, uh, there was a particular weekend yeah. I was playing, I don't know who they were playing. And their striker, okay. in the match, uh, in the team list, he yes. had number 29. But on the field, he was wearing number 9. It was an error, but it's also part of the regulations that a player can only have one number. If it's going to change his number during the course of the season, there needs to be a particular request. So I think, like I said, for the overall marketability of the league, these are the little, little things that we need to take cognizance of. I totally agree with you, sir. I, I think we should have a conscious effort to make sure that these things are adhered to, adhered to sorry, strictly going forward. Alright, so we move on to 9.27, which has to do with um, approaches to players. Okay. I think this yes. is where you really come in. This is a very, very, very critical uh, section in the guidelines. And I'll take it. Uh, a club okay. shall be at, limit, at liberty at any time to make an approach to a player with a view of negotiating a contract with such a player. If, and, I, and they give the instances this can happen, if he's an out-of-contract player, or yes. case of a player, with the prior written consent of the club to which he's contracted, then subsection 9.2 goes further and says, the club shall be at liberty to approach such a contract player during the period approved by the league. And they go further and say, who will become an out-of-contract player is at the end of the season. Two, who has received no offer from his club or who has received but has declined such offer. Such let me just, let us just isolate it there. And I, and, I, and I want to get your opinion on the fact that we do know that several times players yes. move from club to club. Yes. Right? And the club they yes. leave cry foul when the player goes AWOL. Yes. And I, and I put it to Sheo Diko on Twitter uh, a few weeks ago. And I said, and I okay. gave the instance of the Sunshine Stars player. Um, 
who was top yeah, scorer at the time was top scorer. Yes. Uh, yeah. Went a one and Sunshine sent out a press release to this effect. And the next thing we found out the guy had arrived at Rangers. Subsequently, Sunshine said that the press release saying that he's been transferred to Rangers on loan. Or to the end of the season. They didn't mention loan. He said he's been transferred to Rangers to the end of the season. For me, what has what happened here is a clear, clear case of player tapping, right? And I yes. put it by saying, you guys hear that these things happen in the league, but you say nothing about it. Then there was another player that also went AWOL uh, from, and we also know that when they play a, play a new player in the league, a fresh player in the league, signs a contract for three years. You can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Tosin. Okay. I think the minimum contract term for a first-time player in the league is three years. The minimum? No, that's no longer the case. Now, a player yeah. can sign a contract for a year. That was I'm the talking of a new that. player. Fresh a new player. signing. This is his first time in the NPFL. Maybe somebody got from the grass, from grassroots or whatever, you know? No, 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 no. The thing is, if a player is a fresh player and... Most cases, maybe the person is a minor, the person doesn't attain the maximum that I can sign is the three year contract. Okay, the maximum and is three years. Minimum okay. Under the LMC framework, is whether such a person is a fresh player or the person is a contract. Okay, okay, so the maximum is three years. No, for a player who is a minor, the maximum length of is not the minimum that is three years, it's the maximum that is three years. Okay, okay, so. And I'll give an example. So, a player that is a first player that signs a three-year deal, right? Yes. Should that player, yes. considering the LMC regulation, should that player be able to take a walk in six months? He has a three-year deal. Take a walk in six months and move to another team. Okay. Um, I think I, let me let me just give my view in respect of this. There are quite a number of uh, reasons why I think why i think such things happen the first thing is that it's not strange in the nigerian league for a player and a club to have more than one contract signed ah. that happens often ah. yes and which i think is something that should uh, the lmc should look into and should be stopped you know sometimes you know, sorry to cut you short you know this particular thing you have said is something yes. that seems to be a, a rampant case that a lot of people know of but it yes, seems to be something that can't be proven. Well, it's something that I actually know happens and it's something that I think should uh, should be stopped. Okay. Because sometimes you find out that a club and a player sign a contract, the one registered with the LNC may probably have a three-year uh, duration, hmm. while maybe a separate agreement between the player and the club may have a year period now, there may now arise a circumstance where after the first year that the player has joined the club, the player tries to capitalize or, uh, would I say, rely on that private agreement between himself and the club. Mm. Now, that may, in some cases, that, that's the promise that the club has had with the player, saying, okay, let's sign this contract that has a three-year duration, register it with the LNC, but don't worry, we have a private agreement with our, between ourselves. If after the first year, there's you, you wish to move on, don't worry, you are fine to move. We'll rely on this private contract. You may not find out that after that first year, the player wants to move on, let's say to another club as a free uh, agent. The club would now try to rely on the contract that was registered with the LMC. Mm -hmm. this, I th this, I, this is what I think uh, is one of the reasons why scenarios like this happen in the Nigerian league. Mm -hmm. So the player will try will be trying to rely on a particular contract while the club is trying to rely on a, another contract. And another reason why I think maybe such uh, such uh, scenarios occur are probably in situations where there are ambiguous clauses of duration. Mm -hmm. I think clauses should be well drafted such that there will be no ambiguity as regards when 
the parties really want the contractual relationship to end. And I'll give an instance. Now, um, a contract, the duration contract of a contract may be drafted in a way that says the player would, um, the, the contract commences, let's say, at the beginning of the 2018-2019 season till the end of the season. Now, we know that in the Nigerian League, the end of the season is something that is probably Some very unpredictable. <laughs> yes, very unpredictable. And we'll give an instance of um, the year that we had the, the World Cup. Now, the Nigerian League was stopped abruptly, cutting <laughs> matches to the end of it. Yeah. So, in that circumstance, if a player wants to leave at the end of that season, you know, it's something that he could actually say that's the end of the season. And in, if you want to look at it from the other angle of it, the club may argue that now the end of the season, which was initially, which was what both parties, uh, uh, you know, both parties had in mind at the time of signing, was that the contract was going to end, let's say, in December 2018, when an NPFL season usually ends. Mm. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying yes, to I say. Yes, I do. I understand. So I think such clauses should be probably. You know, very express. Now, this contract is going to end on, let's say, oh, so, so, so dates. Yes, 2019 or something. Such that it is not left open to changing circumstances or, would I say, major. Yes, that probably may occur. So, what so you're telling I me now is that, to search cut you short, is that most times contracts signed in the MPFL they more often are not don't state a particular date. Date. That's, that's correct. I have seen some myself. That is absolutely correct. In fact, there's... Um, and I think sometimes such clubs do it deliberately. Yeah. That's what I think as well. Clubs sometimes try to make use of such clauses depending on how it favors them. Now, let me flip that card. It's very possible that at the end of that 2018 season, when the league was brought, brought to an end abruptly, that the, let's say sometime in September, yeah. when the season had ended, or let's say October, the player was trying to recover maybe remunerations that are owed him, yeah. saying that when this contract was signed, it was supposed to end at the end of the season which ordinarily would have been December 2018. Yeah. You wouldn't be surprised that the club may tell you that by virtue of these developments, the, the league has actually ended and they will tell the player that, see, we are not obligated to pay you any salary any longer. Mm. So sometimes I think such clauses are, are usually put to for the club to have an opportunity to pick however it favors them. I may be wrong, but that, that's how I see, see it. So, regardless of whether it was done deliberately or it was done out of ignorance, I think that clauses should be very expressed as much as possible. I'm not saying this is the reason, or this is um, this is the reason why you know this scenario of maybe abscondment and the rest of them usually occurs. But these are some that I think may you know cause such to happen. And there are particular instances of players that were even represented which I probably may not be able to speak yeah, about. It's because, fine, it's fine, it's fine. Yes. But in one of those cases, this was actually what happened. The club did not put a proper duration as regards the contract of the players. So when we now demanded that areas of salaries and uh, yes, the areas of salaries of the players should be paid, the club tried to rely on a defense of abscondment that the players had, 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 had absconded and they should return to the club and that that's when their monies will be paid. And looking at such a clause from the literal drafting of it, we will review that this contract had ended and we were able to get judgments for, for the players. So, like I mentioned, sometimes they have more than one contract which have conflicting durations. Sometimes the clauses are ambiguous. Then another uh, reason why I think such a thing may occur is that sometimes this clause may not be truthful. One, may, one should probably not uh, rely on everything that is posted on social media. Now, there could be situations where there's a conflict between a player and a club in respect of, has my contract ended, has my contract not ended? Such a dispute can be tabled, tabled before the LMC or the NFF Arbitration Committee. You wouldn't be surprised that the LMC may actually have looked at such a dispute 
and resolved such a dispute in favor of a player, saying that this player is actually free to register with another club. But you find out that there, there can be a circumstance that the club will still try to come out and trying to pay a victim address them because I ordinarily believe that before a player will be allowed to register with another club, yeah. the LMC would have done their due diligence. There must have been a clearance from the former club. And yeah, even yeah. if there's no clearance, yes, even if there's no clearance, the LMC may have looked at such a matter and decided accordingly that the player is no longer under an obligation to remain with the former club. So sometimes it may be beyond what we see on maybe social yeah, media that see, what the thing is that, clubs yeah. And this is giving a little bit of credit to the LMC, right? Uh, yes. they, have a yes. domestic, they have what they call the domestic transfer matches system now, which yes. the LMC say they use. But you and I realize that this is still, this is operated by human beings, whether they like it or not. So yes. the case of uh, the Abia guy that left uh, Sunshine and moved to Rangers. Now, it is at the point that he probably got to Rangers. And this is me bringing up an hypothesis. This is an alleged case. He got to Rangers after absconding from Sunshine. And then Rangers people got in touch with Sunshine and said, your player is here, we want to sign him. And of course, Sunshine will be like, why would you want to sign him? Do not talk to themselves. You know how Nigerian clubs do? They talk to themselves. Yes, yes. And you yes. know, Padipa, because they're not structured to do business. They're not structured to be business entities. So they have a conversation. And then in turn, Sunshine will now say, okay, no problem, you can have him to the rest of this for the rest of the season. Then both teams will now go ahead and put in the documents on the DTMs. Now, the okay. thing that's supposed to happen is Abia should still be at Sunshine. The Rangers will make a bid for him. Yes. Formally, no, formally. FIFA, by FIFA regulations, you cannot speak with a player yes. of another club without the prior consent of the club that of owns the club. Uh, although, playing rights. Although clubs find a way around these things by talking to the agents. You know, as the agent, yes. think this guy will want to move to us. And the agent will say, yes. okay, if you do this, that, we're sure the club will, you know, allow. And, you know, and the deal will be done. But Nigerian clubs don't do this. More often than not, they just go straight to the player or know somebody that knows the player and the player just absconds. So what the players do is they kind of force a move away from the... Which is wrong. Which is wrong. And it's prevalent. It is something that happens every single time. And I took up Sheldi Connish and I said, look, he was saying that the clubs are supposed to complain officially. You know, and I'm like, complain officially, fine. But when you have heard it once, twice, three times, multiple times, that this thing is happening, don't you think the LMC should ask themselves a question and say, look, we need to investigate. Okay, take for instance, 9.29 says any club which by itself or by any of its officials or by any of its, of its players by its agent or intermediary or by any person on his behalf or by any other means whatsoever makes an approach either directly or indirectly to a contract player except as permitted by either 9.27 or 9.28 shall be in breach of these rules and may be fined and or punished in accordance with the provisions of section C of this which has to say very part which we will also be looking at. This in itself, you know, just it's very express to what continues in the league. And I feel that it's something that the LMC needs to wake up to their responsibility and take a look at. You need to investigate why the display yes. abscond is out there in the media. Why did they abscond? And uh, I was having a concern. Somebody gave me gave an example of uh uh Wenge. One January yes. transfer window where he drove from, I think, Stoke to QPR. He wanted uh, to... But you know what? QPR did open their doors to him. They didn't open the door. They were there waiting for him. They didn't answer him. Because yes. club, his club... I was actually... Yeah. Agreed. They were even... He was at the, at the car park. Yeah, it was at you the know, car park of QPR. Yes. 
ready to, to get signed. But the club couldn't agree. He drove back. So the club couldn't, the club couldn't, or any of their officials could not be seen with him because it's against regulations. But in Nigeria, yeah, absolutely. It's something I think it's something else in this to investigate. Um, okay, so we have that. So yes, hopefully, uh, although, okay. okay, no, you're going to say Bye. something. Yes, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you that I think it's something that maybe the LMC should look at. But I also think what uh, Mr. Sheodiko has said is what the clubs should do. Because it makes it difficult for a body to act when there is no formal complaint mm. by a club, by a former club of a player or supposed former club of a player. Because what if the LMC thinks if, if the LMC were just to act on whatever is reported on, let's say, social media or mm-hmm. the internet, they would be wrong. Because sometimes bloggers just write things, oh, this person absconded, or this person didn't leave without the consent of the club, and the LMC decides to act on that. They may probably be acting on false information. And I'll give an instance. This is what I think I usually done in other leagues, even in England. There was a time when um, Southampton Football Club were not okay with the approach of Liverpool in respect of Van Dijk oh, and yeah. some of that. Yeah. The FA in England didn't act until there was a formal Complaint. formal petition by Southampton Football Club to um, the FA against Liverpool Football Club. And that was when Liverpool made an apology that summer and yeah. they withdrew the, the, their pursuit of the player and waited till January. So, although I, I see what you are trying to say, that um, since the LMC have this arbitrary power, it's something they should look into. But I think a lot uh, lies with such clubs. Would if you club. think about the genuine case, really, yeah. and you have clean hands, because that's another thing. A club may not have clean hands. For instance, maybe a player who you, you are probably indebted to, you haven't paid, and the person actually exercised uh, 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 an option of termination of such a contract. Because by FIFA regulations, if a club is indebted to a player for at least two months, the player has the power to has the power to 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 write the club, giving them a default of notice, a ten-day notice. If after the ten-day period, the club still doesn't pay whatever monies are owed to the player, the player can go ahead to terminate. So in, in such an instance, that a club probably doesn't have clean hands, that maybe that was the route through which the player got signed by another club. They may not have, uh, you know, that confidence to 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 submit a petition, and that's why I feel if a club has the genuine case of abscondment, I think a lot builds on them to be able to approach the LMC and make a formal complaint alongside whatever supervisory power that the LMC may exercise. That's that's my own view. I get you. I get you, and uh, I do understand your take. Um, Let's quickly look at uh, 9.41, which has to do with release of players. Uh, something just caught okay. I just want to ask you. I'm not sure this happens. It says, each club shall not later than one week after the last match of the season submit to the LMC details of each player whose contract with the club expires at the end of the season and who the club has not offered a new contract i.e. list of these players, provided that no player shall otherwise be released or have his contract terminated before the end of the season, subject to the provisions of the regulations of status and transfers of players. This does not happen, I'm sure, because we see, and I'm sorry for people, first-time listeners to this podcast who might be thinking that I'm too pessimistic and I'm too uh, critical, but it is what I know. If they submit yeah. the list of players that are not signing new, they didn't offer new contracts to, one week after the season, you won't have instances where a player shows up at the start of the season in one club, going to be played for last season, and then two weeks into quarter of court preseason, you see him in another club. No. Because that, he's got, he went to his old club, and maybe the old club has a new coach. And that new coach wants to bring his own people and says, no, no, there's no way I would, you know. And the guy just hops and leaves. Leaves. No contract. He's supposed to have a contract. 
with yes. the club or the ups and leave because hey, like you said, the they have a gentleman agreement in place which is outside what they have um, you know deposited with the LMC. Quickly to um match tickets and stadium entry. Have you when was the last time you went to an MPFL game? The last time I went for an MPFL game was uh, I think the middle of last year. It's close to a year now. Okay. Did you pay to go? No, I didn't. <laughs> okay. And were you giving a ticket? Hello. Were you giving a ticket for your no, friends? No, we were not. Gi- no, no, okay. we're not giving a ticket. Okay. So we go to section fifteen point two zero, which states. Okay. Are you there? Um, scrolling there now. Uh, yes, I'm there. All right. It says that's match tickets slash stadium entry. It says match day tickets shall be used and issued by the home club, including for free entry for record and crowd control purposes. The home club shall communicate to the LMC not less than 72 hours before the date of any league match that the ticket prices of the various classes of tickets for admission to the match. Yes, that's what the provision says. So you went into an MPFL game, free, the gates were thrown open, but you were given a ticket for entry. Now imagine where you had a crowd explosion at the venue. That was a disaster for for Stampede, Stadium Unrest, Potential Violence. They can't tell me they don't know about yes, this. They can't tell me they don't know about this. And that's that's I think that's part of uh, that's part of the professionalism that you know one is speaking about because obviously by these provisions it says that uh, the the LMC should be carried along whether you are fixing a price for the ticket or it's even going to be free. It's not for not less than two hours. Old. Two hours. And sometimes you find out that the governor of the state, um, I'm not speaking about any particular state in anyone of anyone's state. They just uh, suddenly say that um, you know the gates are thrown people to to attend and rest of them, which shouldn't be the case. Because uh, in fact, if these provisions were to be followed, I think it's something that clubs clubs should even look to explore. For instance, if everything is very organized, such that you can even buy tickets of matches, you know, on websites or pick them up at markets or something online, you know, they even get more money for themselves because when you are more organized, you know, it helps people to also have easy access to, you know, payment for tickets and for them to be able to attend matches. I heard heard how, I heard how we club, how they share uh, their home gate tickets. I heard how they share it. They collect cash after collecting gates and ticket. They always have a sold out crowd, but the money is shared immediately between you know hierarchy officials of government, hierarchy officials of the club, oh. and the player. Meanwhile, this uh, regulation states that there's a five hundred thousand fine, fine for any club yeah. that defaults. That defaults. That, that's true. That's true. And I think uh, once I the LMC for them starts, once every other week. Yes, I think once the LMC starts enforcing this, perhaps it's go a long way for clubs to to sit up. Because imagine having to pay five hundred thousand era a five hundred thousand era fine rather than making something <laughs> maybe they can't even. I don't think any MPFL club makes up to five hundred thousand era uh, on any match day. But imagine that rather than making money, you end up losing money. So I think clubs will probably sit up and begin to do the right things. Moving along, uh, we're going to assault. You are the lawyer. Please, maybe you could just help educate our listeners what the law says about assault. What does assault mean? Okay, so assault would mean, uh, well, it can be a civil offense and also it's also a criminal offense because there's criminal assault. So in a circumstance where somebody uh, causes, maybe eats 
whether directly or indirectly and indirectly could be maybe throwing um, an object or anything at a person which causes that person to suffer um, some sort of injury um, there will be an assault even if the person doesn't suffer any any injury as long as there's there is a touch or there yes there's a touch that such a person has not given consent to no matter how slight such it touches it constitutes assault now if i try to even forcefully hold the hand of someone that i'm not even applying violence or maybe i don't even intend to injure that would constitute an assault because that person if that person has not given consent so that's what that's what assault means an assault very simple terms so for fear of not beating this drum too much let me quickly read what this regulation says it's uh, under section c subsection 11 is assault it says any player or official who assaults a match official or any other person in the course of a match shall be suspended for a period which will be up to one year key parts up yes. to one year in addition yeah. any other any sanction deemed appropriate like i said yes. let it not seem like i'm flogging a dead horse rabbi ali at the mpfl championship playoffs as far as i'm concerned assaulted the match referee and he was given a 12 match ban right that's your bad bad. He yeah, played in yeah, the FA Cup for Canopylands. They told us that the ban was for just the league. And then in the league, I think it was banned for only four games or thereabouts before the suspension was lifted. Now, with that yes. one, did the LMC follow their own regulation? Well, I'll probably have to now. So if you look at the provision of um, this LMC regulation, yeah. what it says is that uh, let me just speak it from the middle. May, sorry, uh, shall be suspended for a period which yeah. may be up to. So mm-hmm. now, the one that is compulsory is that that person shall be suspended. suspended. But the period of suspension is such that it's not compulsory that it will be up to one year. Okay. So if prior to what may. So that gives the LMC a discretion as to what length of ban that player should. Uh, you know, should face. Okay. Although, um, going uh, even law aside, I I think probably what has been done by the LNC, they may have their reasons, but I I think it may not pass the correct message to people who may want to um, carry out you know such acts that are not befitting. You know. Well, yeah. I, I wouldn't know if that clarifies it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he clarifies it, and that's why I'm saying that so that people listening know that uh, our purpose for looking through these guidelines is not to criticize but to inform and yes. also look at where there are shortcomings and we can then provide suggestions now it's the regulations also states that uh, anybody that is assaulted can seek yes. redress in courts yes I'm yet to see that happen. Is it that mm, the law yes. courts are not uh, are not very uh, accessible for people to sue uh, people for for assault? Um, well, I I think uh, a lot of it will depend on such officials or such players who are probably assaulted. Because from that provision, the LMC actually gives that freedom for probably any official who, who may want to um, file a lawsuit against anybody that has assaulted. I wouldn't say the law courts are not accessible. They are actually accessible. But sometimes, I, I guess part of what such officials may consider are probably their own safety. Now, if uh, maybe a lawsuit is filed, some of them may feel, uh, well, I don't know their mind, so this is just like uh, an opinion. Yeah. Some of them may feel that going to another match venue may make them to be uh, maybe objects of, uh, can I call it, uh, ridicule. Okay. Maybe, or it may make them to be targeted, sort of, especially if they return to such a ground after that time. 
Also, perhaps sometimes uh, their employers, maybe in this circumstance, maybe the LMC may prevail on them. I'm just giving an opinion. I don't know of any such case. And I think maybe one of the other reasons why people may, uh, why we don't see this happen is because of the long time it takes for um, um, for cases to be decided in our, in our courts, in our regular courts. Because for, uh, for a referee who probably files a lawsuit, he probably may not get judgment until sometimes it may take like a year or, or 18 months or even two years. Wow. So maybe these are some of the circumstances that, that people look at. Although I think it is, some, it is something that we should start to look at. So for instance, if a player of uh, ABC, uh, for example, ABC Academy or ABC United mm -hmm. assaults an official, such an official can sue the player and the club jointly and severally. Okay. This is because if an employee carries out any acts, in the cause of his employment the empl employer is liable for any such act of that employee so if a player of uh, let's say the the example which i've used i don't know if there's any club that exists in such a name if an employee of abc united let's say a player or a coach should assault an official that official can file an action against the player and against the club and i think joining such a club in such a lawsuit we help clubs. We sorry. We help clubs to be able to better contain their players or their or, 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 or their coaches, their other officials, because you know that whatever they do would make you uh, you be bound to whatever they do, and whatever liability which such players incur would also be incurred by you. So I think it's something that probably should uh, you know officials, match officials should start looking at, and which also raises the concern that or the need for us to have a sports tribunal in Nigeria. Let's imagine that we have a sports tribunal in Nigeria, you know, set up by an act of the National Assembly, such yeah. that when there are incidents of violence, these match officials know that they can easily go before such tribunals and get justice. Then the advantages will be that, uh, obviously, they'll be able to get, you know, a decision quicker than it would be for a regular court. Yeah. Because, for instance, the cases which such sports tribunals would and do are only sports cases, you know, sports-related cases. So, which would obviously mean that they will have lesser workload on them than the regular courts, where you know a judge has land matters before him, criminal mm -hmm. matters, uh, insurance, banking, and, and the rest of them. So, this also raises that need for you know a sports tribunal. If we have such, perhaps that will encourage um, you know match officials more. To probably seek redressing before such um, before such bodies. Okay, uh, so I guess that's for assault. Now, so we should move on to display powers. I'm just there are only two things that come to my mind for display powers, and I think that um, and uh, okay, and I think that so the LMC, okay. So before what? we go on, yeah, yes, before we go on, there's actually something I, I noted with the assault. Okay. the provision of assault, mm. which I think uh, maybe the LMC may want to look at. Okay. Sorry, that would be page. I already scrolled from that. Uh, okay. uh, one minute, please. Okay. I think the provision can probably be more detailed because it says that any player or official who assaults a match official mm. or any other person in the course of a match yeah. That means it's only in the course of a match that that will constitute an offense. So if I have a client, and this is how a lawyer would ordinarily think, yeah. if I have a client who is probably charged with uh, having contravened this provision, when such an act that was alleged to have been you know, carried out didn't occur during the course of a match, that means that person can actually go scot-free because okay. the LMC will not have a basis upon which to find that person guilty under this provision or to punish such a person. So you are saying I, I it, should, it should it should have match the during the course of a match and within the premises. Exactly because I've actually seen. Yeah. No, you, yeah, you make so a the, valid point because uh, something yeah. happened earlier in the season where a okay. fan of MFM, right? Okay. It's a fan yes. that is also linked to the club somehow, you know. Okay. Assaulted 
a player of MFM after their one one draw against Warriors. So you can imagine. And so what happens? That the match was immediately after the match. We just saw we were sitting in the stadium was at testing Balogo. And we just saw this guy, you know, throwing some combination of punches at this MFM player. I don't know what transpired between them. MFM released this. Uh, MFM didn't say anything about it until we that were the journalists that were the uh, members of the sporting press that were at the stadium made a lot of noise, especially on the program that had a contributor on Sports Zone on Lagos uh, Talks 913. We made a case out of it. We made a lot of noise about it that we needed to, to know who that man was and why he has a right to come on the pitch or the, to the dress to the um, to the dugout and have access to the players. He actually beating this guy up. The guy was just looking at you. We were there to really stop it. And immediately after everything released the press release, you know, after we had made so much noise about it. They said they suspended the guy indefinitely. Mm. It was at the stadium on Sunday for the game against Cardinal. So, from this situation, and I do agree with you, it should include things that happen in and around the match venue, and even exactly after after the match, even if in fact in yeah. a window of time, maybe one hour, two hours. Yes. After, Two hours usually because when you look at uh, provisions of uh, other jurisdictions, uh, for instance, I've, I've seen similar provisions in the Football, Football Offences Act of, of the UK. What is usually done is, apart from what happens during the course of the match, there's usually it's usually included that such an act is prohibited within a particular radius of a match venue. So it may not even be during the match. It could probably be outside, maybe during a car park, whether before yeah. the match or yeah. after the match, yeah. as long as it's within, so let's say, oh, uh, maybe five kilometer radius of a match venue or 10 kilometer radius of a match venue, that this such a provision would cover such incidents. So, and apart from maybe, a, 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 you know, a, a particular radius, like you mentioned, there can be a time frame. Now, in the Football Offences Act, it is prohibited for alcohol to be sold. I can't remember the time frame now, but I, I know it can be less than two hours. Like, okay, maybe two hours before any match and maybe two hours after any match. So I think it's something the LNC can also look at. So for instance, if the provision covers that, covers a circumstance that any incident or any assault that happens maybe two hours prior to a match and even maybe two hours after, after the, the match, match constitute exactly, and maybe within a particular kilometer radius of any match venue, such will be you know included and will constitute an offense. So that's what I think one should that probably the LNC may want to look at because if a person is charged, let's say an official of a or a club is charged with um, having contravened such a provision and it did not happen during the 90 minute period, 90 minute period, he goes Yes, such person may go scot free. So I, I just need to point and or yeah, that's a valid, valid and observation. Uh, and uh, we're suggesting to the LMC if they're listening that this is something they need to look at to review. So I was talking about disciplinary powers, and, and I think yeah. that I, I only worry myself about with respect to that are two portions of the disciplinary powers that the LMC has, and it has to do with. Uh, forfeiture and deduction of points, forfeiture or deduction of points, yes. and throwing a team out of the league. Now, yes. if there's one thing that I believe that should be done, and, I, and, I, and I'm particularly talking about crowd violence, once it's okay. is found guilty of crowd violence, I think that our people need to be educated to know that their actions has an adverse effect on the club that they support. So for instance, you decide to go crazy and you now get involved in crowd violence and you disrupt the game. I'm like, the club should be deducted points. And if they repeat, if they repeat offenders, then they should be thrown down during the Now, yes. um, 
That's what I think. I think it's imperative that they do this, but something tells me that the NNC doesn't have the political will to do it. Mm. Yes, I, I totally agree with you because, um, especially in circumstances where there are repeated uh, offenses, offenses, yeah. By particular, maybe player or a club. Yeah. Probably what maybe the LM offenders, yes. It's probably what uh, the LMC should look into. Because if it's if such punishments are only limited to fines and probably just that fans because now if uh, obviously it seems not to affect the clubs, especially when some are not really paid by them. Most of the clubs in the NPFL are owned as monies. Most of these clubs get a conversion. They don't pay the fines. They get some pay the fines. Oh, oh, that's the that's the case. They don't pay the fines. You know when we reviewed the the first part of this. Well, you know, we talk, talked about the irrevocable financial payment document that is supposed to yes. to the LMC. Nobody does that anymore. Yeah. Let's just quickly round up because I think the connection is gradually trying to tell us something. Um, let's quickly look at finally, let's look at uh, arbitration and dispute resolution, which is your which is your core, your core yeah. part. There are six uh how do I put it? These six resolutions or articles that has yes. to do with arbitration and dispute resolution. So we go yes. number one says any official or player of a club who intends to declare a trade dispute with the club over unfulfilled contract agreement or conditions of service shall in the first instance give a 30 days notice to the club management stating grounds of dispute. Comments please. Well, um, I think sometimes players don't know about this, and maybe coaches, well, maybe clubs may know about that. When such disputes arise, uh, that's what ought to be done. But where I actually have uh, a problem is that oftentimes when you write to the LMC submitting such disputes to the LMC, you, you really get responses. Even from the LMC? Yes, from the LMC. Because so the this is here, number two says a copy of the notice should be sent to the LMC for its intervention within the 30 day period. Yes, even from the LMC. And this is not speculation. There are letters which have been written by our firm to the LMC, which uh, one hasn't gotten responses. Although, in some cases, one got responses, you know, after having spoken with certain persons. But which I, I think should not be the case. If uh, I think anybody, even without being a lawyer, a player should be able to write to the LMC stating his or her grouse, sorry, mm -hmm. his grouse, since female players don't play in the NPFL, mm -hmm. stating his grouse and then um, having a response. And this is what I think most football governing bodies do, and which shouldn't be different with the LMC. If today I probably file a claim or I write to FIFA in respect of any dispute, you can be assured that within this, you will get a response. Even if such a response is not detailed, you will be told that your claim has been received and that such will be communicated to maybe the respondent club or the respondent player, as the case may be. And this is what I think the LMC should please look into. Because uh, it's, in, uh, it's, it's because of such, uh, would I say, failure to respond that you find players and coaches going before the National Industrial Court. Yeah. So uh, about two weeks ago, I was at the LMC, uh, sorry, at the NIC, that's the National Industrial Court, yeah. although it was in respect of some other, some female players. Obviously, they don't play in the NPFL. But on the same course list, I actually saw disputes that were filed against NPFL a club. That, yes, an NPFL team that were filed by coaches. And it makes me wonder that if I wouldn't know if such coaches you know, wrote to the LMC, but I presume they may have. It makes well, me wonder if... Uh, you said? I said we never if know. The, yes, we never know. If such coaches you know, have, have written to the LMC and you, they probably responded, they probably wouldn't have any business coming before 
the the NIC. Well, they would because if you look at number three in the regulation, which says if at the expiration of the 30-day period the dispute has not been resolved, the player official may refer the matter to the arbitration committee of the NFL for education. Those fact, that committee seat. That well, I I I probably don't even. From what I've heard, that's a long time ago. Exactly. Fact, so that's why they have to go to National Industrial Court. Yes, there has in fact there has never been any response from the NFF since um, our firm has been writing to them in respect of disputes. This is not speculation. This is these are things that we have we have uh, in your records in our records, which I think um, should be looked into because when disputes are resolved, it tells with the stability of the league. You know, players don't have to be carrying uh, placards. You know, going to disrupt trainings, give us our money. I read in the paper what happened in January that some former players of uh, of uh, Sunshine Stars and some other clubs, uh, maybe Sunshine oh, Stars, regular to, regular to disrupt the uh, training. Number four says decisions of the arbitration committee have been final and binding on all parties concerned. How would the arbitration committee make a decision when they refuse to? When they do not to sit. Five, and even, by any club to compare with any if I something before we move on. Yeah. Um, sometime, I think two years ago, there were actually some decisions of the LNC that some some players wanted us to enforce. Okay. Okay. And, uh, sorry, of the NFF. Sorry. Because even this Article 4 talks about the decision of the, the NFF. Okay. Yeah. I, I think more should be done in enforcing such arbitral awards because what's the essence of an arbitral award which clubs still fail to comply with? Some of them had such decisions like more than six years prior to when we were approached. Some of the decisions were dated um, some 2012, some 2013, and they made a mistake. Now, I'll probably, they made a mistake of sitting back and not taking steps for such I'm hoping decisions. that they pay. Yes, and hoping that such a club will pay. Mm-hmm. And let me just mention at this point that if there's anyone who gets any decision of uh, the arbitration committee, whether that of the LMC or the NFF, and such is not enforced by either of both bodies, they should take steps to go before the National Industrial Court to enforce such arbitral awards. And such enforcement has to be done within six years. Now, when some of the decisions were brought by um, a, play, a player's union, we found out that most of them had been caught up by the statute of limitation. Some of them had gotten the arbitral awards more than six years ago. So by the time we sorted out some that had been caught up by the statute of limitation and some that had not been caught up, in fact, the amount of money that had been lost by most of them was nothing less than 70 million naira. You don't believe, sir. Hmm. You can imagine. So if one gets such a decision, ordinarily the LMC, the NFF are supposed to take steps but in the circumstance where they do not take steps, such a decision is an arbitral award that can be enforced under the Arbitration and Conciliation Act of Nigeria. It can be taken before the NIC, the National Industrial Court, for enforcement. But on a, I just, in an ideal case, to see how long, if you take this matter to the Industrial Court, how long in an ideal case, ideal situation, does that take for them to get judgment? Well, well, it wouldn't take time because obviously it's not like they are trying to get a judgment afresh as it were. All they are saying is that there was an arbitration that was conducted and this was the decision of that arbitration panel and so that the court should enforce. Well, how long does it uh, take to get an enforcement order? In fact, they may be able to fully have such an award enforced latest in six months. Sincerely, six months is a long time, <laughs> but it's better than not having it. Well, at somebody all. who's probably waited for four years, but I get what you are saying. What we're yes. telling oh, is that they, these processes exist, yes, need to take yes. them, you need to take those steps, yes. yeah. But and, and rather than getting, yes, and rather yeah. than getting this and still having to lobby or carry placards, I'm begging your peers. Yeah, this somebody, uh, okay, we'll look into your matter. 
because there are different means of um, enforcing judgment. Because part mm-hmm. of what the court can do, which is something that lawyers are aware, there's what is called the garnishment proceedings. The yeah. court can actually mandate any bank that such clubs have bank accounts with to pay such judgment sum to such players or such uh, coaches that got arbitral awards. And there's nothing the club will be able to do in respect of that. Now, let me ask this. If you get enforcement, an enforcement order from yes. the social court, right? Yes. Yes. For the club to pay on, you know, on the arbitration um, decision award. Decision. Yes. Can yes. the club go ahead to appeal that execution order from the industrial from the industrial court? It it cannot be appealed. Okay. It cannot be appealed because an arbitral award is final. Okay. The only grounds for yes, the only grounds for which an arbitral award is usually set aside is where there's an issue of fraud. Is where okay. there's an issue of fraud. So now, if uh, if, if if there's absence of fraud, especially maybe you know a, a process which the club was even part of, you know they also tabled their own side of the you know yeah. of of you know they tabled their own defense to to the case, and the NFF or maybe the LMC actually gave a decision, and they can't establish any fraud whatsoever. There's nothing which the club can do. It's all about registering the arbitral award as a judgment of the court, and such a party can now proceed to enforce, whether garnishment proceedings or maybe by writ of five years. This, this is something that lawyers know about. It. So they, it's not something that they can appeal and probably have to take a long time and waste the time of persons who have gotten such a decision. So you say, I do case six months. He said it may I not be up to six months. It may not be up to because yes, it, because they are not starting a they are not starting a suit all over again. They are not starting a suit all over again. So on the average, let's say six months. Okay, so rounding up, uh, number five says failure by any club to comply with any decision of the arbitration committee may cause the club to be expelled from the league. One, six. When a club fails to comply with any decision or arbitrary award within a stipulated period, the LMC shall have power to deduct from or withhold monies accruing to such for the purpose of setting the debt. You know, the last two just made me laugh. We do know that in the times that the arbitration committee have sat, some clubs have failed to adhere to the decisions of that arbitration committee to comply and no club was expelled from the league. Number six, we do know that the LNC has probably not paid the teams that have won the league in the last two seasons. And also, we do know that the clubs have not issued any uh, guarantee, financial guarantee to the LNC for their processes that are functioning yeah. in the league in the last few years. So I'm asking, where would the LMC get the money to deduct, to settle? Oh, to Such see. clubs that have defaulted. Exactly. And like you mentioned during the last episode, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, there were a financial guarantee that had been issued you know, by It's automatic. You very, have yes, no recourse very... to the club. Just write to yes. the bank bank onto based on the guarantee that you have with you please pay so as very simple yes. and the and the bank has no there's no nothing no option. The bank will pay they will pay unless they want yes. to holler because that because their bank guarantee is as good as cash that's true. unless they're saying that they, they are unless that bank is insolvent and that's that's a different matter, you know. Entirely. Uh, entirely. Well, that's true. I think we have tried to educate, to enlighten fans of the game, lovers of the sport, followers of the MPFL, players, coaches out there who may be listening on their rights and what the LMC regulation states. I believe we have also tried to shine a light to let the P 
people running our football know that there are certain aspects of their rule book that is flawed, that needs to be looked at. We're also telling them that there are certain aspects that are, that are also good for our football, but we expect that they make some, ad, some adjustments in light of recent uh, advancements, recent changes globally. Like, for instance, as it has to do with assault, like you said, in the, during the match, after the match, X number of times after the match, within the premises of, of, the, of the match venue. Yes, and match venue. Yes. So, I have to say big thank you to Tosi. I don't know if you have any final comments as we close this final uh, episode on the LMC status and regulations. Any final comments? Well, um, thank you very much, Mr. Ademi, for having me on the, on the podcast once again. I'll just enjoin every person who is in position of authority, whether at the LMC or the NFF. One acknowledges whatever efforts that have been made, but I think more can be done because uh, if we adhere to the provisions of the rules and makes for you know a better branding of the league or of the clubs, it would uh, pay everyone. It would pay even the leagues. It would be of benefit to the league. It would be of benefit to the players even to the clubs and even to other stakeholders like uh, maybe people provide uh, uh, sport equipment you know people sell jerseys and dress of them even for sports lawyers for agents and that's one thing that makes the english premier league and some other european leagues different from every other league in, in the world. So I hope it's something that can be looked at and changes made as soon as possible. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Barrister Tosi Akiem, a sports lawyer. Thank you, Tosi, for joining us. Um, this has been 19 Little Extra. This recording will be up before the end of the week. Um, you can follow the handle at 90 and extra. You can follow me at the Emerson at GemiTM442. You can follow Tosi Akemi at Akemi Esquire, which is Akemi EXQ. Um, if you have the chance, please follow us. And um, if you want more uh, details on the workings and um, the programs that Tosi and his uh, colleagues do, follow him on Twitter. You get all the information there. Thank you for listening and Goodbye.